0: Welcome to 4.0 to Pro, the pickleball podcast that focuses on a single shot, tip, or strategy to improve your pickleball game with every single pocket-sized episode. Our goal is to make you better on the court every time you hear our voices. And now your hosts, 4.0 something, Michael O'Neill, and USA Pickleball
1: National Silver
0: Medalist, Senior Pro, Scott Liegelman.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 4.0 to Pro, your pocket-sized pickleball podcast where we teach you a single shot or strategy every single episode. I'm Michael O'Neill here in massively raining Long Beach, California, joined by my good pal, Mr. Scott Flegelman there in Boulder, Colorado. How are you, pal? I'm doing great, Mike. I feel like we talk about the weather a lot on this show, but
0: I guess it's just part of our intro.
1: It's part of the intro. It's usually sunny. I'm very grumpy that it's not. It really affects my life, especially my football life. We are getting together. That is a thing. I'm going to see you in a couple of days for the Senior Pro Tour here in Tustin, California. We are both playing singles and doubles. I don't know if we'll be facing each other or not, but that would be fun if we did. And yeah, I'm really excited about the whole thing. It'll be really cool to sort of watch you in tournament mode, which I've never done other than at the uh, NPL. But I do feel like that's a little different because it's a team event. So it'll be cool to watch you in singles if I have a chance. And if you get a chance to watch me, then maybe I can get some coaching along the way uh, for what would be my second senior pro event. So that'll be fun
0: for sure. Going to be a great time. I am I am debuting with new partners, Patrick Coat from Phoenix. Either just turned fifty or about to this year. Really good player. We've only played a little bit together. And after a year and a half of practicing, Molly
1: Carter and I will take the court for reels on Friday. That'll be very exciting. Folks, by the way, if you are looking for a carbon paddle, get 10% off using the promo code 402P at checkout. You can also try out their brand new glasses which we talked about on, I don't know if it was the last show, maybe the show before. I've only got a chance to wear them once because it's been dumping rain here for about two weeks now. So I'm very excited to give those a try, but, if you guys are one of the many people that are considering, man, this game is really starting to speed up, it's getting a little nerve-wracking standing at this line when we have people ripping counters at our bodies and faces. I know, Scott, you are a huge proponent of wearing eye protection.
0: Yeah, you can find me wearing the carbon pivot glasses on the court almost all the time. Certainly every time I'm playing and most of the time when I'm teaching. I'm indoors, so I enjoy the, the clear version of the photochromatic lens that darkens as you get out into the sun, which I'm hoping to test out later this week in hopefully sunny Southern California.
1: So today's show is something that you've seen very often on the teaching court and when you guys have open play over there in Boulder Pickleball. And I think this is a very specific response to something that many of us face and maybe don't have the tool set to accurately counter. Would you like to explain what this is Issue is.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the
1: issue and then we'll, we'll
0: dive into it a little further as well as the the remedy. One of the biggest mistakes that I observe when running 3.5 plus open play is poorly handling... A slice return of serve. The players are either not grasping the physics, uh, recognizing the slice and the impact it's going to have with the interface with the paddle, in combination with choosing the wrong shot selection, given how impactful that slice would be. So we're going to dive into the concepts a little bit further and especially offer what I like to refer to as an option C for the third shot.
1: And I'll even maybe offer an option D when we get through C (laughs) because I think there are some things we can do proactively to help this that maybe allow us not to even get into this position, but we will get there when the time comes. So Scott, let's first talk about options A and B. We love to break things down into like you have one choice or the other. And if we execute on one of those two, then we're typically in a good position to win a point or make progress in the point. In this case, what are our options A and B? Absent of a wicked slice
0: return of serve, I'm really looking at these in order as option A and B. Option A is pre-serve alignment and visualization. I'm going to align to the far left. I'm going to set up myself for a forehand third, and I'm going to highly prioritize a deep, impactful serve that delays the returner's progress toward the net, exposing their feet in the transition zone, giving me a much larger target than just the seven-foot kitchen area to drop the ball into, and I'll use a new school or hybrid drive drop with a little bit of topspin to try to get the ball at the feet of the returner as they're on their way in, hoping that they either pop it up, my partner puts it away, or we get an easy fourth ball back from them to drop and neutralize the rally and get up into a four-person ritual kitchen exchange. That's option A. And boy, that rolls off my tongue because that's how I'm visualizing every single serve or as the server's partner. That's what we want
1: to happen. That's a low stress third shot scenario. And we've talked about that a million times on this show. That is exactly what we want. A very deep serve. They don't have quite enough time to get all the way to the kitchen. And we're able to get a ball back that is around their feet. What's option B? Option B is a combination
0: of I was not able to get the desired depth on my serve And more than likely, the returner was getting tired of dealing with balls at their feet in transition, and they added some float, some loft, some hang time to their return of serve to allow them the time to progress up to the non-volley zone. Somewhere along the way of that return of serve, I've gauged the trajectory of that return and wagered, I'll bet you his feet are going to be firmly planted at the non-volley zone. I'm going to shift from option A to option B, which is now a traditional third shot drop. I tend to focus more on the cross court because I have measured. I get 10 and a half feet of kitchen area to land the ball into cross court. But those are my primary options. A, New school hybrid third shot at the feet of the returner in transition, or B, a traditional third shot drop cross court.
1: Those are our two shots. Option A, new school third. Option B, probably a drop because the returners have plenty of time to get to the line. And we know that the new school third probably won't work as well because they're planted and they're ready to return it. Now, the real challenge is maybe you get somebody that has a massive slice return and and option A and B are now much more difficult to hit from a physics standpoint. Can you explain a bit why that is?
0: Sure, especially for those of us who may be accustomed to a racket with strings and a ball with felt. When we're presented with, with those features on our racket, we are able to stop the ball from spinning. The felt gets stuck in the strings and it stops spinning in the rotation it was, and it might even get imparted with spin going in the other direction. That's what we're accustomed to. But with a plastic ball and a paddle that doesn't have a whole lot of friction on it, we're not going to stop that slice from spinning back in the direction of where the ball came from. So the worst thing we can do is apply slice to the slice. We're Not going to stop that ball. We're going to be accustomed to uh, a certain apex with that shot, but the ball is going to dive off of our paddle. And this is the shot that I observe frequently at open play is the ball goes about mid net and it's not even close. It's just like a foot up from the ground. Yes. Yeah. It's not even close. And that's when we apply a slice to a slice. Top spin is a slightly better approach to that. But now there's so much pre-spin on the ball. The ball's rotating back where the ball came from, the returner. Now I apply top spin. There's so much excessive top spin that we're also not selecting the right apex or the right height And this ball also goes into the net because there was so much pre-spin and we lacked the proper equipment in our hand to stop that ball from spinning in that direction. And it messes with our targeting quite a bit.
1: So I've been that person, Scott, even though I consider myself pretty handy with a, a paddle or a racket or any of those things, I've absolutely drilled a million of those things right into the net. It does depend for me a bit on how much slice is on that ball, and it depends on the location. So it might be easier for me to handle if it happens that that slice hits my forehand versus my backhand, I can maybe be a little trickier with my forehand to get it back over, maybe really getting the paddle under the ball. But if I just do nothing and sort of block it back, that backspin drives it right into the net. And that is obviously what we are trying to avoid here. If the ball gets to me rather quickly and I've got a an option A
0: mindset, get that ball back to them swiftly while they're in transition, I'm inclined to use topspin, but I've just got to raise my target. I have to understand that the the ball is going to come off a little lower than I thought it might. And these days, subconsciously, I make that adjustment. I apply extra topspin on the ball. Side note, when playing singles, if I were playing against you and you hit a slice return of serve, I'm actually kind of excited about that because you've provided me with an element of pre-spin to accentuate the top spin passing shot that I want to hit. As long as I adjust my apex, um, that ball is going to be a lot of Zs on the ball, like we talk about from Ultimate. And as long as I just raise my target just a little bit, that's going to be a really effective passing shot.
1: And it is something that might have a little bit of nuance in singles versus doubles. Is this one of those times where... If you start facing this ball and you see that this thing's got a wicked slice on it, are you essentially conceding? This is an offensive shot. There's not going to be a whole lot I can do with this. I need to just get it back and survive until my fifth. Is that the... the? mental state that we are in? Or is it, let me try to hit some great third? Like, is there a way to remedy this, I suppose, is what I'm asking.
0: Yes, and this is the option C answer and pivoting off of our recent shows where we've talked about the importance of intentionality. I need to recognize and congratulate my opponent on applying wicked backspin and change my intention. My intention is not that I can get the ball at their feet or drop it into the kitchen. I need to realize that they have impacted. Me in such a way that I'm not able to do my first two preferences with a third shot. I now default to a conservative line drive. One of your favorite sayings make them hit a fourth ball, give them a chest high volley. Here is a lukewarm line drive. My partner and I are going to stay back, and I am wagering that their volley with a stick and a wiffle ball is going to impact me less so than the second shot of the rally, which was the return of serve. From there, they're both going to be established at the non-volley zone. I'm ready to drop cross court. And I've just delayed the drop shot from the third to the fifth or the seventh and just lived for another shot by not trying to do anything too fancy when I'm faced with that slice return of serve.
1: Are you aiming middle-ish or do you have, are you still sort of going towards the returner if possible? Toward the returner if possible,
0: because now that I've gotten the ball up a bit, I'm a little concerned about the, the net player poaching. As a, a right. new school hitter, I don't worry so much because I'm trying to get that ball down around their knees or lower. But this is not a great shot. I'm visualizing, here's your volley. As a teaching pro, I literally have a, a vision in my head of taking a ball out of the basket and feeding him a volley. Here is the most basic line drive you're ever going to see. I'm going to put that ball in play. Way to go. Way to get that slice ball on me. And here is a line drive and I'm just ready for the next ball. It's just not going to have as much spin on it. And I can drop that one.
1: This reminds me a bit of the surrender dink that we talked about on past episodes where at some point you just concede, man, that was a killer drop. There's nothing I can do about this. And I have to surrender to the four-person ritual kitchen exchange because I can't hit an offensive shot from this. You've, You've done so well at dropping this ball I can't take it out of the air. It's short enough that I can't do a whole lot with it from a dink standpoint. So I'm just going to try to get it back. So if somebody manages to not only get a crazy good slice on you, but because sometimes they fall pretty short. If the, if the ball is being sliced, maybe they don't have a lot of velocity on it, but it just has a bunch of spin on it. If that's the case, and it's to my forehand side, let's say I'm serving, uh, I'm on the right side serving to the left, and that slice return is to my forehand. I feel like I have more options than when I'm on the ad side of. The left side of the court, and that slice is to my backhand. I just don't feel like I have as many options when it's to my backhand, just because I don't have the same amount of tools in the tool chest on the backhand side that I do on the forehand side. So in that case, we're just going to try to live to hit the next ball, which is just to get the thing back, prepare for impact, and field whatever that next ball is, their fourth shot, that we can hope to get a fifth shot drop or some sort of more advantageous fifth shot. That's what you're saying.
0: It is. And the scenario you just described, good for them for getting it to your backhand, but here's a great opportunity for your TUI. Because right. if you leave the one hand on there and you try to slice that slice, that ball is going to go into the net. And at least with the 2 you can get a little bit of topspin on the ball and hit them that lukewarm line drive that we live for another shot.
1: All right. So let's talk about other scenarios where that you could be really impacted by the return. And you don't get a chance to do A or B. For sure. And I think it's important for our
0: lower level four point somethings, as well as our three point somethings who are listening to the show. Thank you very much. To learn to better do diagnose the spin off of our opponent's paddle sooner and sooner and sooner. Again, our tennis playing friends have a nice advantage here. But for this particular shot, seeing the slice come off our opponent's paddle for a return to serve, they've taken the paddle back high. They're brushing down under the ball, sometimes imparting some side spin as well. I hear the difference. So open your ears and listen to it. And when that ball hits, it's going to skid. So try to remember what their body language looked like like that produced a ball that skids that likely has a ton of backspin on it. So this starts very early on by observing the paddle preparation on the other side, and then the full visual of their striking the ball and then listening to that ball kind of humming on its way over. And that's the ball that produces the, the spin and the skid.
1: Well, if it's okay with you, Scott, I would love to talk about other really impactful returns, including one I faced yesterday playing singles. We've gotten so much rain here. And there's some indoor courts near me, but they don't have the outdoor court playing surface, but they don't have wood. It's sort of an in-between. It's kind of a badminton place. So it's got this sort of rubberized surface. It's not ideal, especially when you have a brand new ball, which isn't scuffed at all. So the ball was sort of slipping a little bit. To add to that, the distance between the baseline and the back wall wasn't great. It was pretty tight. So if somebody had a really, really deep return, it was very, very challenging. Every ball had to be essentially half volleyed, which means you're not going to get a whole lot on the ball. You're going to return it pretty short and you're in a very tough position. So what I mean by half volley is that the ball has just bounced and I'm catching it on the way up. It's not to its apex yet. And if that thing went to my backhand in particular, it was a tough ball to handle. Like it was really, it put everything I had into it. And if you guys want to learn everything about the half volley, episode 40 of this particular podcast that you're listening to, we covered it in detail, but that is a very, very difficult ball because I would say, Scott, and you've been around more courts than I have, it's not great. Unless you're on a grandstand court, the distance between the baseline and whatever the back fence is or the net or whatever's behind you isn't awesome. So the deeper you can get that return, the more uncomfortable Comfortable that the third shot's going to be for that person. So I feel like dialing in that half volley is really important for things like that. Yeah, you've
0: nailed one of the other impactful returns, whether it's got a bunch of slice on it or not. If your opponent has returned super deep, options A and B may be rather challenging to pull off. So I feel like a mindset shift away from A and B towards C, hit them a line drive that makes them hit the ball on the move and live for another shot. Take your chance chances with your fifth shot, it's not likely to also land six inches from the baseline uh, unless you're playing a 6.0 on the other side. So make them hit a ball and try again on the fifth. A similar scenario not so much a boulder pickleball, but I'm, I'm told outdoors that the wind blows on occasion. <laughs> and if you're in a really windy environment, and especially if they've hit a lofted return of serve, you're going to have a tough time successfully dropping that ball into the kitchen. So it's another time to jump to option C, a conservative, medium pace line drive that makes them volley with a stick and a wiffle ball. And a lot of the time that ball lands mid-court and you've got a much better chance to drop on the fifth.
1: On that notion, Scott... The tournament that just happened, the last PPA tournament, there was so much wind. It affected so many of the games. And these were pro-level games. And you're watching people like Ben Johns hitting returns. Two feet out, or vice versa, they're trying to drop a ball on their third, and the wind is so gusty coming the other way, they're dropping it into the net. So their only chance was to concede and hit that midline drive just to live to hit another shot. That's really all it was. So it really doesn't matter what level you are, wind can affect even the highest level of this game.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping not to be in, in that environment all that much. Uh, it, it's not so much fun. But that's the adjustment that you need to make. And I'd say, lastly, for this tidy list of reasons to jump from our preferred options a and b to c is when we've we've hit the net with our last five third shots or 10 third shots just whether it was a or b it's not working out i'm not having a great day i need to jump to option c here and make them hit a fourth ball and likely get a slightly more favorable shot on our fifth so you've referenced earlier in the show about an option d and you know what a big fan i am of pre-serve alignment and visualization making the first five shots follow the script unless there's a compelling reason to go off script. So I've got an inclination of what your option D is, but I'm hoping you'll share it with us.
1: So a couple of years ago when I was in Denver, I went to the Gates Tennis Center and I didn't know anybody and there weren't really any open games. So I just took the water bottle out of my bag and I think I had about eight or nine pickleballs, and I just hit serves for an hour. And I would move that water bottle around in the service box and I would try to hit it. And once I got into my rhythm, I was hitting it more often than not. It was six or seven out of 10. I could either get really, really close or I could actually hit the bottle. Why that matters for this is, let's not even get into the situation where we are facing these wicked slice returns. I would say, I don't know, you tell me, 80 to 90% of the time, these slice returns are coming from a backhand return. Totally agree. Because the mechanics lend themselves to... If you were a tennis player or even a ping pong player, it lends themselves to a wicked slice return on the backhand side. So because I did that serve practice, and boy, does this show up in singles, being able to place a serve. But because I did that serve practice, I'm able to now way more accurately target where I want that server to hit the ball. So if I know they have a wicked backhand slice, I'm serving to their forehand. I'm just taking that weapon away from them as much as I possibly can so then I can do A and B. That happens more often than not. I would say if I do an evening of rec play at my local courts, Lost Cab, here in Southern California, and I play with 10, 12, 15 different teams throughout the evening, three or four of them will have somebody that has a pretty nice slicing backhand return that I go, nope, not doing that, and I just go to their forehand the whole time. So get yourself a bucket of balls, practice your serve locations, deep, shallow, corner, corner, in the tee, move yourself around on the baseline so that you can pretty much serve from anywhere and hit anywhere. And your serves will be A, more deceptive and more of a weapon, but B, it will take away, in some cases, somebody's number one piece of ammo, which is their slice return.
0: And let's not get down 6-1 before we realize how wonderful their backhand slice return is. We've talked on this show before in the five minutes that you get before starting uh, an official match to keep one eye on your opponents and start to make a little checklist of what am I going to converse with my about before we start this match. And one of those things might be, let's serve to their forehand. I saw a couple of those backhand slices while I was practicing my serve in return, and I'm not going to serve to his backhand. I'm going to go to his forehand. So love that tip. And we'll add that to our list. It can be option D. So to sum up as the serving side, our preference is option A and then option B. As we've talked about, let's serve deep. Let's try to catch that returner's feet still in the transition area and hit a new school third hybrid, somewhat top spin, 60% pace line drive at their feet. And that's going to work out well for us as a serving side. If they're smart enough to hit some loft on their return, give themselves the time to make it up to the non-volley zone, let's hit a traditional third shot drop, which we've been doing forever. Option C is the crux of this show because they've hit a very impactful return to serve, likely heavy slack. Nice. A heavy backspin, and we lack the proper equipment to stop that pre-spin and turn it into what it is that we want. And frequently, that ball goes right into the middle of the net. So let's change our intention. Let's go away from a lofty goal of putting it at their feet or into the kitchen, and let's make them hit. Let's give them a conservative line drive. Live for another shot. Take our chances. Hanging back at the baseline, then we can hit a fifth shot drop from there. And if all else fails, or even proactively, let's recognize in warm-ups that one or both of them have a terrific slice backhand and let's not serve it to them. Let's find our targeting in our serve and let's put that ball on their forehand side which is hopefully less impactful of a return than their slice backhand.
1: All right, guys. So that is it for today's show. This is actually one of the things that's a bit difficult to practice until you're facing it. So just keep all of this stuff in mind when you're stepping onto the court. You now at least have an A, B, C, and D to go with. So go out there, give it a go. Go have some fun and we will see you next time thank you for listening to
0: 4.0 to pro for more tips find us on instagram at 4.0 to pro if you have a pickleball question submit it at picklehelp.com now get out there and dominate but don't forget to have fun